Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. From the start of the series, I, I had in mind, I think what the graphic captures, and that is when we think of God and me, that it's something that is very simple. Very simple that even a child can understand the fact that Jesus loves me and I'm in a relationship with God. But like other relationships, relationships can tend to get more complicated as, as you go through life. And so it is with our relationship with God that it seems very complicated. And so what we wanted to do is simplify it again and simplify it by looking at at a few truths that are so basic to Christianity. Uh, Truths like the Lord's Prayer and the forgiveness of sins and the Ten Commandments. All of these are are part of our relationship with God and in each one of them, he wants us to, to understand the relationship. Now, if you have had me in, in a class before in 201, you, you may have heard this illustration. I've used it before. And so if you've heard this before, I don't want you to shout out the answer. Uh, I don't want you to ruin it for other people. So don't try to be like the teacher's pet today because you will not be the teacher's pet. You will be in the corner uh, and maybe even out of this building. But, but this is because this is about relationships. And so... What I do sometimes is try to figure out what I think I know about relationships and and make the applications to God and his word. So, here it goes. Imagine it's Valentine's Day or your wife or girlfriend's birthday. And now the question is, is that you have to answer for me, which would she prefer? For you to say I love you, for you to get her a card that says, I love you, or for you to take her out to eat to say, I love you. Oh, my goodness. So this is going through your head, and you're like, oh, this is not good. I don't know. Um, And so as you consider that, my wife of 25, well, 24, not 25 yet, 24 and a half years, could tell you that the correct answer to that is, Choose? Are you kidding me? I've been, I've been with you for 24 plus years, and you're going to make me choose on Valentine's Day and my birthday on which one of those three I want? I want all three. Right? Ladies, is that all right? Do we under, yeah? Are, do we have an understanding here? Now, here's the deal, though. This is the thing we need to understand, is does the fact that I get my wife a card to say I love you does it mean that I love her more than if I, I just told her I love you? No. It, it doesn't mean I, I love her more. Or if I take her out to eat to say I love you, does that mean I love her more? No. So don't worry about it, Tanya. I, don't, I love you. I don't have to do those things. We're good, right? Well, why do we do that then? It, well, the reason why we do that is it communicates our love more clearly or in a different way because you're now using not just your 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 voice to say I love you 
But you're also giving her now something tangible that she can hold on to, that she can go back and look at and be reminded of that love or, or to be seen out in public together to say, yeah, we're together and I want everyone to know that. Because all of us, and now I'm not talking about myself or my wife, but I think all of us, when it comes to relationships, there are times when we are insecure. That we wonder if that person in the past who has said, I love you, whether they continue to love me, if there's someone who's more attractive than I am, that, that there's someone who, who takes their interest. Or, and, and so we need to hear, we're needy to hear, I love you in so many different ways. Well, today as we look in our, our relationship with God, God also understands that we, and, and a lot of it has to do with, with our own sinfulness and our own unworthiness, that, that we are insecure. And so what God does is this, is he tells us in his word, he speaks to us and he says, I love you. You are forgiven. And we hear that. And, and we believe that. But God knows how insecure we are. So what he does is he tells us in another way that he loves us. And it's right there at the baptismal font. You see, in, in, in baptism, it's, baptism is not something new. It's, it's not a love that you, you have from God that you didn't have before. But it's in baptism that God communicates his love even more clearly with water and the power of his word. And so we see something on the outside that is happening that affects us on the inside. And we're going to be looking next week. Pastor Jeff is going to talk about the Lord's Supper. And it's also in the Lord's Supper that the same message, I love you, I have a relationship with you, because God wants our relationship with him and specifically, as, as we, we begin to doubt that relationship, to take us back to something very simple. And that is the truth that he loves you very, very much. So today we are going to, to look at baptism with the theme, God washes me. And we're going to go to Titus chapter 3, beginning with the third verse. I'm going to read it now. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, pointing to baptism whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want to stress these things so that those who have trust in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So as we're looking at this whole concept of, of God's love for us and, and, and baptism and him washing, we get to this truth where it talks about the washing of rebirth. And as Paul is writing this to Titus, and he would have heard these words, there's no doubt that he would have thought of other words. And these words were spoken by Jesus. And, and I don't know if you've heard them before, but they're from John chapter 3. 
In John chapter 3, the other verse there, it says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And a little bit later, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, as we look at the, this concept of, of, of rebirth, it, it, it would be good for you to go back to John chapter 3. If you've never read John chapter 3, it is one of those first chapters of the Bible that I, I would read. It's in John 3 verse 16 that we're told that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's a promise we, we can take God at his word and be assured of that, assured of the promises of heaven. But the interesting part of this comes before that, and it's when a person named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anyone to see him going in the daytime. That he was, he was a little bit leery, uh, a little bit ashamed maybe, a little bit insecure about his relationship with Jesus. Or, or lack thereof. And when he came to Jesus, he said, we know that you are from God. We know you're from God because no one would be able to do the miracles you're doing if you weren't from God. There's a problem, though, because although Nicodemus saw that evidence and, and in his head knew that, that Jesus had to be the promised one, he didn't believe it. And that is why Jesus was telling Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Because what you are doing, the way that you were born is you were born in, in sin, and you were born separated from God because of your sin. And now, Nicodemus, you're so close. You're so close. You, you recognize the evidence, but you have not put your trust in me. And that is the rebirth that God is talking about. That is how we are born again. When we hear these promises of Christ, when we see the evidence in his life, when we read his word, and, and it goes from our, our heads to our hearts, and we recognize him as the Savior. He convinces of that. The Holy Spirit convinces us, us of that through his word, and he also gives us another blessing to help us. And that is the blessing of the washing of rebirth, otherwise known as baptism. In the blank, you can write, baptism is a washing of rebirth. It's a washing of rebirth. And so sometimes maybe you've heard that this terminology in, in Christianity and, and, and the question about uh, that they might ask, are you a, a born-again Christian? And by definition, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are born again. You are born again through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are born again through a, a pow the power of God's word. And at the same time, we are born again through the waters of baptism that have the promises of God that we lay hold to.
Let's continue. Let's continue looking at Titus 3 and, and going through exactly the, the uh, argument and, and the case that, that Paul is making for it. He says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, and deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Those words are harsh. <laughs> and and, and the, the part of it that I want you to, to see is when he says, at one time we too were foolish and, and deceived. And all of these different things that, that, that as he was writing to people and saying, you, you have this issue, and there, there's an issue called sin, that, that sometimes what happens is Christians can come from the kind of a perspective of, I guess we call it holier than thou, where I'm up here and you're down there, which I guess technically today I am up here and you're down there. <laughs> but sometimes that's the problem of, that can happen with preaching, that I speak about you or that I talk to people in such a way that I'm better than you are. And I really hope for those of you who have heard me preach for a, for a longer period of time that I'm not going to say that I've never come off with that type of tone, but, but I've never meant to. And that is what Paul is telling us too, that as we talk to one another, we're all in the same boat together. There is no one who is up here and some people who are down here and down there. We are all in the same boat together. In the blank you can write, we are all in the boat, same boat together. And it is sunk. And so to help you, I got a little bit of a graphic to show where we are at. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to think about where you are at without Christ and without a relationship with him, you can argue on what seat you're on in, on the Titanic. Uh, you can argue about who went down first. But the reality of it is, is that being born into this world, that, that we immediately, you know, once that, that Titanic hit the iceberg, it, it was just a matter of time it, until it was completely sunk. But it was sunk. And in the same way as we look at our lives, we can say, you know what, our lives aren't over yet, that, that this is a time of grace, this is a time when I can continue to get back to God. But it's not going to happen through your own effort. And the way that, that Paul describes sin is something that you need to understand about yourself. And, and he, he uses two different examples, two different ways that he looks at it. And one has to do with our relationship with God, and the other has to do with our relationship with one another. First of all, you were foolish. So, so there's just some things we just don't know. Because we don't know God or his word, that we are going to do things that seem really smart, and, and seem like they're going to help, but God looks at them and says they're foolish. That's not going to help you. We are disobedient. That we hear what God says and, and we say, yeah, God, I know that's what you say, but I want to do this. And this, this way actually sounds even better than that. Better than your way. It makes more sense. That we are deceived and then enslaved. And that's the part, Enslaved. You know you're a slave when you cannot say no. When, when a sin has got its arms wrapped around you and as many times as you try to stop it, you just can't. It's a slavery I'm familiar with. 
And I have to believe it's also a slavery you know, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't want to sin. I don't. I don't ever want to, except for the times I do. And that is the slavery of sin, pulling me back in, trying to get free. All about my relationship with God. And can you see? Remember, we started talking about insecurity in relationships. Can you see why I would be insecure? Do you, do you understand why you would be insecure as we see sin in our lives? And then we see how it affects our lives with others. We live in malice. And now malice is that whole idea of that, not just that you hurt someone, but that you intend to hurt someone. That, that intent is behind it. Think about that in your life. Have you ever purposefully tried to get back at someone? Said, they hurt me, now they're going to get hurt. And envy, being hated and hating one another. Maybe you're a person saying, hey, I, I don't hate other people. I, I live and let live. But the reality of it is, is if you are not showing love as God has, has told us to show love, you're a hater. We're all in the same boat, and it is sunk. And then the conversation turns. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, and the next words are, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. And we'll get there in a moment. But I want you to first start with this whole idea of kindness. But when the kindness and love of God appeared... And I want, first of all, I want you to think about kindness, and I hope in a way that today I've been trying to be kind. Because if you go to a doctor and that doctor has to share bad news with you, that doesn't make him an unkind doctor. It makes him an honest doctor, and it makes him a helpful doctor, because now you know exactly what needs to be dealt with. But kindness is more of the way in which we share that news. And the way that we show empathy and caring and patience and concern for another person. And now I want you to think about this in terms, first of all, of kindness. I, you need to get the idea of kindness in your head. He showed kindness and love. And so when I think of this, I think first of all of grandma. And I think of grandma showing love. And grandma showed love when she got me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But grandma showed kindness when she cut the crusts off. I think of my little league coach, my little league coach who loved us. He was, he was just the best coach in the world. And he showed love by having all the practices. He didn't have anyone on that. His kids were well out of little league age when he was coaching me. And he was there all the time, that, that, that love to, to, to be there, to be at all the games, the practices, and give his time. But his kindness is when he took us to Dairy Queen after each game and gave us each a quarter for an ice cream cone. You see, see how that works? That, that there is love and there is kindness. And now I want you to think about this in, in terms of your relationship with Jesus because we already said John 3.16 is where God showed his love, right? He, he showed his love by, by giving his life. And, and that's what we have in Christ, we can look, especially this time of year. As I said, Easter's two weeks away, which means 
Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life, is one week away. And we take time during that week to, to have worship service on Good Friday, where we look at Jesus' love that he was willing to go to the cross for us. That we look at, at the love of Christ as he died. We, we watch his love as he's put in the tomb and we witness his power as he rises from the dead. And that is the love of God for you. But I hope as you read through the pages of scripture, you not only see the love of God, but you see the kindness of God as well. The kindness of Jesus that as he's going away from the group of people because there were so many people, they didn't have time to eat, they didn't have time to think, and he was going to walk around the Sea of, of Galilee, or he's going to take a boat across the Sea of Galilee, and the people walked, watched him, so they walked around, that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So on a day when, when he wanted to be alone with his disciples, that he showed kindness by not only teaching them, but also feeding them. We see the kindness of Jesus the day before he dies, that he gets down and he shows his love and service and his kindness as he washes his disciples' feet. We see the kindness of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross and he thinks of someone beside, literally beside himself and a thief who he promises heaven and his mother and his disciples. And he, and he thinks about them, and he, and he cares for them, even as he's dying. Please, I, I beg you to, to not just know the love of God, the love of God that's found in Christ, but understand his kindness as well. And his kindness to you can be seen in a beautiful sunrise or sunset. His kindness can be seen in people that he's put in, in your life who care about you and go walking through towards heaven with you. But today, today I hope you see his kindness in baptism. Because it's in baptism that God practices redundant communication to you, reminding you, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are washed, your sins are taken away. Again and again, in different ways, God showing his love, and then in his kindness, reminding you. In the blank, you can write, God starts his relationship with us with loving kindness. All right, so now we get to, the, it's all the good part, but this part is great too. And we go to Titus 3, 5, and 6. He saved us. All right, so we're on the Titanic. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, not because of what we're doing, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. And again, in another place, in 1 Peter 3.21, just going back to this whole idea of baptism where it says, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is one of the things that, that as we look at this whole thing of, of baptism and that baptism saves us, that there are, are people who are really uncomfortable saying that and, and very... Uh, unclear about what exactly we're, we're saying. 
And they, the reason why some have talked to me about it and said, Pastor, I don't, I don't like you thinking or saying that baptism saves us because Jesus saves us. God saves us. And so in, in the blank, here, here's, I'll give you the fill-ins first. You can write God saves us. Jesus saves us. And baptism saves us. Now I want to be very clear. Very clear what I mean by this. And so, if you remember the situation we're in because of sinfulness apart from God, it looks like that, correct? Yeah? We're on, we're on, we're on board with that? See what I did there? Oh, plant words. All right. So, so we have that. Now imagine we are going to call the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard is God. So God comes to save us, Right? God is the Coast Guard cutter that is going to come in and he is going to save us. But it's also proper to say Jesus saves us. And so who Jesus is, you like that picture? Jesus is the diver coming in, that Jesus comes into this world, that God comes to us, but Jesus now jumps into the water with us. Jesus is the one who jumped into this world, who came into the sinful world. And now if you want a picture of baptism... I would use the picture of the basket. That, that, yes, it is God who saves us through the work of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that makes the waters of baptism effective in any way is the power of God and the one to whom that basket is connected. All of this. And it's only through the promises of Christ. That, right now, I'm telling you that in that baptismal font, what is in there is water. Plain, simple water. Covers most of our planet. And, and it's of some use to drink or it's some use to wash or whatever. Yeah, it's useful. But that water by itself is useless to you in your relationship with God. Until it's attached to the promises of God. And in the blank, the final blank, you can write, the power of baptism is Jesus' promise. The power of baptism is Jesus' promise. And it's those promises, it's the word of God that we lay hold of. It's the work of Jesus Christ that we lay hold of in baptism. It is what is offered and what we receive through that washing. And we go on. Titus 3, verse 7, it, it describes it a little bit different way. So that it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the power. That is the power and the promises of baptism. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. So now, on the one hand, we have baptism where God is giving us a bath and he's washing us and he's saving us and he's making us clean. He puts on us uh, the pictures of a robe of righteousness by which we are spotless before God. And now he, he changes it a little bit and, and says there's a second illustration. And that illustration is one of adoption, that you become an heir, that these promises are yours, that, that you are, are part of a family. 
And that is why, as I think about that and I think about my, my children at, at a young age, I, I, I think about the concept of putting my children up for adoption. And, and not because of, of, that I want to get rid of them, but because I look at myself as a father and I say, I am not able to care for my children in a way that their heavenly father can. And so it's in the waters of baptism that instead of giving them the Salofra family name, that the name that they need to have is the name of Christ. So in baptism, they are adopted, that I put them up for adoption. God takes them, and, and with his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he takes them into his family. And the promises are for them. And they are promises that they can lay hold to as well. In the blank, you can write, the when in baptism is eternal life, as it is with all of God's promises and the work of Jesus Christ. The win is eternal life, and the promise of God is worthy of trust. That is something that can be very difficult to do. If you try to prove to someone that you love them, and that you should be trusted, especially if that, that is ever broken, if that trust is broken, that it takes time and reassurance and, and not only the saying of words, but also the doing of actions that, that follow it up. And, and you once again tell them, I love and care about you. you. You can trust that. And that is what God has done for you as well. Remember that redundant communication. God telling us in so many different ways because we, he knows we're insecure because of our sin and tells us again and again in, in so many different ways that we are loved. And finally, Titus 3, verse 8. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. They are excellent and profitable for everyone. And you can fill in the blank right away. Baptism is the beginning it's the beginning of a life set apart for God. So when we think of, of, the, of the concept of baptism, that, that baptism is, is the time when God washes me. And now as a Christian, what does that mean for my daily life? On the one hand, the, the place where I like to start is baptism reminds me of my identity. It reminds me of whose child I am. I'm a child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And on a daily basis, I can get up and I can remember that because I know that I'm adopted, that God has adopted me into his family. The second part, as we consider the, the waters of baptism, the waters of baptism are, on the one hand are washing, and they're also, you could say they're drowning, and what they drown is the sinful nature inside of us that sinful nature that, that we continue to push down, that, that we continue to put to death. Uh, and as it said, that, that we try to drown the sinful nature in our life, but, but he's a good swimmer. And, and so every day pops back up in places where I don't want to see it. And so on a daily basis, as I confess my sin, as I confess my desires that are contrary to what God wants for me, 
and contrary to what the new man, that the, the reborn person inside of me wants as well. That on a daily basis, going back, confessing my sin, and remembering the promises of baptism, that I am forgiven, that I am loved, that God shows me his love and kindness once again on a daily basis, embracing me and reminding me that I am loved. These are the promises that God has for you and the promises that he wants you to believe and trust that, that are worthy of your trust. This is about relationships, God and me. God and me and about God's greatness and about the many different ways God supports our relationship, the way that he made that relationship possible through Jesus Christ. Enjoy this relationship and the promises that he gives us in baptism. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the fact that you do love and care about us. We thank you that on a daily basis, you not only show love to us, but you show kindness as well. Now, Lord, help me to be more and more secure in my relationship with you. Send your Holy Spirit to work through the power of your word and through the promises that you make, that, make in that word. Help me to continue to live every day for you. Give me the strength and power, Lord, because without you, I can't do it. And now, Lord, on a daily basis, help me remember my identity in Christ and the fact that you have bought me with his blood. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. As you go out for today, I encourage you to look at the, the bottom line that is found in your message notes. And the bottom line, I need baptism. In baptism, God washes away my sin and empowers me to live a life of faith. I use my baptism every day when I confess my sin, receive the forgiveness of sins, and, and live for him. And, and that is my hope and prayer for you as you leave here today. And now as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. We'll see you on the patio.